This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, when we break down some of the biggest local and state news of the week. By this time next week, Chicago aldermen will have voted on the city's next budget. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is optimistic, even as progressive groups say she's breaking her campaign promises. The budget she has put forward will close an $838 million budget hole without a major property tax increase. It's easy to stand on the sideline and lob bombs. It's much more difficult to go. A big surprise in Illinois politics tonight. Longtime State Senate President John Cullerton says he is retiring. A replacement named tonight for former Illinois State Representative Luis Arroyo. Kim Fox is facing four challengers in her bid for re-election. Democrats Donna Moore and Bill Conway and Republicans Christopher Fon Cook and Pat O'Brien. Joining me now to talk about the budget and more is WBEC state politics reporter Tony Arnold. Also with us, Chicago Tribune City Hall reporter John Byrne and Crane Chicago business politics and government reporter A.D. Quigg, who's become an expert at dishing out some of the highlights of the mayor's budget plan. Oh, what a fun budget. Mayor Lori Lightfoot's (laughs) first budget. She came in uh, claiming an $838 million gap and she's closing it a few ways. And the big way, as you mentioned, is not through a large property tax increase. There is an 18 million-dollar property tax increase to open libraries on Sundays. She's also closing it by restructuring some debt. We're going to get $200 million that she's going to count up front on that, uh, $40 million from a new ride-hailing fee, $20 million from a restaurant tax, a little hike in the cloud tax, and parking meter rates. And we're also counting on $160 million extra in reimbursements for basically ambulance services from the federal government. But that's still... Right. We're waiting for final word if we are getting that money from the federal government. Um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her finance team have said over and over they're very confident that they will get that extra money. But we have one alderman who just announced a few minutes ago that he wants to delay the vote until it's a sure thing. All right, John, are there any parts of the budget that are receiving extra scrutiny? Well, in addition to this ambulance tax, the big complaints from activist groups are what she didn't do. Uh, you you had uh, United Working Families and the Grassroots Collaborative saying – you know, you, you, you said you were going to uh, reopen the uh, mental health clinics. You said you were going to tax wealthy corporations and make them pay their fair share. These are things you said on the campaign trail, and yet we don't see the corporate head tax here, which is something that they've been pushing and they've put forward a plan for that. And we don't see the, uh, the city-run clinics being opening, so they're just saying you made promises and you're not keeping them. And that rideshare tax is expected to bring in $40 million, but that's gotten some pushback too because – uh, some folks are saying, look, rideshare companies give us access that cabs don't, A.D. Right. I mean, that access is not going anywhere. And I think Lightfoot's team would argue you could still get it for even cheaper if you take 
a shared ride. So the entire point of this is to cut down on congestion downtown and to push people toward taking public transit. This has been an expensive battle that Uber's waged. Um, They've got this big online campaign. They've been redirecting folks via text message and their receipts to contact their aldermen and tell them to vote against this congestion tax. Uber also put up an alternate proposal that they said changes the tax structure to make it a higher tax where there's more transit and a lower tax where there's less. But the mayor says this doesn't actually tackle congestion. You guys are making a bad faith argument. I haven't seen a ton of pushback from aldermen about this tax. I don't know if you have, John. I haven't heard that many aldermen pushing back on this the no. current form of the Lyft and Uber tax. No, I, I, think, uh, I think she's okay on that, and I think she's okay overall. But yeah, the, the Uber thing seems to be less of a problem with aldermen than the mental health and the questions over the ambulance reimbursement, which uh, lots of aldermen are still worried about. Well, one thing that's not okay, Tony, the mayor lobbied in Springfield for a graduated real estate transfer tax that was expected to bring in $50 million this coming year and an additional $100 million every year after that. What happened? What happened is that she didn't get it. Um, (laughs) Well, we know that, Tony. (laughs) She went to Springfield uh, herself to ask lawmakers uh, there, will you support this graduated uh, real estate transfer tax? uh, Ultimately, it didn't go because, A, at this time of year, the legislature is only in session for six full days. It's a very short time frame to get something that major passed, even if somebody very powerful like the mayor of Chicago wants it. It's not a guaranteed thing. Secondly, it, 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 in some ways, it, it contrasts with what Governor Pritzker wants, which is for every citizen in the state of Illinois to vote on his graduated income tax next year on the ballot, to have two graduated different taxes um, coming up here around the same time. I think Pritzker wants to focus on on his own priority, which he's gone on all in on that. Well, that was just one of two things Mayor Lightfoot was pushing for in Springfield. And this isn't part of the 2020 budget plan, but she was asking lawmakers to tweak the tax rate for a Chicago casino. But I mean, where did that go? Didn't get it. Uh, maybe next year. I don't think that one's is going to be as complicated next year uh, as maybe the graduated real estate transfer tax would be. But you have a, a situation in Springfield right now where it's unknown who's under federal scrutiny at the moment, and that compli- that just complicates everything uh, that could be done for the people of the state. And in addition to that, the casino issue, uh, there's an ongoing mystery right now about why Speaker Madigan has recused himself from gambling talks or voting on anything related to gambling. That issue uh, presented some problems for just who's taking the lead on on negotiating this issue for the city of Chicago down there. Madigan has not disclosed why he's recused himself. He doesn't have to. And um, we've asked, uh, and and I, you know, when I know, I'll I'll let you guys know. How about that? (laughs) Well, Mayor Lightfoot says she didn't strike out in Springfield, but that she came quite close. But John, what are the political implications of this loss for her? Maybe she didn't strike out, but 0 for 2 is 0 for 2. She might have put the ball in play, but that, that still doesn't count as a hit. Every time she tells us that she's confident she's going to do something like this and then she doesn't do it, she's eroding the confidence in within the city council, certainly, that she can pull these kinds of things off. Now, it may have been a tight six days, but now we're coming into an election year next year for these lawmakers. Are they going to be more willing to downstate lawmakers, suburban lawmakers, to take a vote that's going to benefit the city and then go to their constituents and say – 
vote for me for re-election. I just voted to help Chicago with its real estate transfer tax and with its casino. I, I don't know. It seems to me that there are complexities she's going to have to continue to deal with, and she just doesn't have a good track record so far of, of being able to pull things off down there. Well, A.D. Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward said, quote, that the mayor needs to, quote, really needs to take a look at where she's placing her optimism. I mean, when you look at where city council stands with Mayor Lightfoot right now, is this a political hit for her? I think it's a political hit, but the thing we have to remember about the Chicago City Council is it's not terribly great at organizing itself. So if we were to see some kind of organized pushback, that would be one thing. But so far, it's kind of been fits and starts over different issues and not not kind of folks banding together to form strong enough coalitions, number one, that last, and number two, that are strong enough to defeat something that the mayor wants to do or come up with their own successful proposals. And again... No property tax. No, right. no, you know, it's the 18 million, and then there are these little bits that, that were uh, approved before she got in. But you're going to be hard pressed to get a whole bunch of aldermen to say, blah, 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 we'll do something else when she's not asking them to take a vote on a tax. Well, you're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes John Byrne of the Chicago Tribune, A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business, and WBEZ's Tony Arnold. Some other stories we're watching today. Indiana University says it won't fire a professor accused of making racist, sexist, and homophobic comments on his social media accounts. The university has condemned the postings made by Eric Rasmussen, a professor of business economics and public policy. But it says he's not violated any policies because he's using his private social media accounts. Rasmussen says the university is encouraging bias by criticizing his opinions. Cook County Commissioner Alma Anaya spoke yesterday about growing up with domestic violence. Her story was part of her pitch to create a pilot program for domestic violence victims in the county. And commissioners included Anaya's plan in the 2020 budget they approved yesterday. And a fifth Illinois resident has died after being hospitalized after with a vaping-related lung injury. According to the Illinois Department of Public Health, 187 people in Illinois from the ages of 13 to 75 have experienced lung injuries after e-cigarette use. As of November 20th, there have been over 2,200 reported cases of lung injuries resulting from e-cigarette use nationwide, with almost 50 deaths. Well, let's turn back to city council. On Monday, the budget committee approved the mayor's plan to raise the city's minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2021. That's four years earlier than the state. A.D., remind us how we got to this point. So this is something Mayor Lori Lightfoot campaigned on uh, pretty much the entire time she was running, 15 by 2021. What's also interesting about this is the other groups it kind of brings up. Sister agency employees at other Chicago agencies will also get brought up to $15, I think a little bit slower than the other rate. Um, Small businesses will get a bit of a break. But the bigger fight and the thing we were watching more closely was what was going to happen to tipped employees. So folks who are servers, barbacks, bartenders, there was a movement to get those folks brought up to 15, to have their base wage at $15 an hour. Lightfoot kind of landed on somewhat of a compromise instead of the current rate, which is $6.40 an hour, and you're supposed to make it up to the minimum wage with tips. If you don't, your employer is supposed to make up the difference. Uh, they're boosting that to 8.40, and then conducting a feasibility study on whether they could boost that more and what kind of impact it would have on restaurants. What's the mayor's thinking here about not boosting tipped workers pay. There is a lot of concern from restaurant owners that it would basically kill their bottom line and that they would have to bear more of the costs themselves, push more stuff onto customers, and it would it would kill business in the long run. Well, progressive political organization United Working Families has also criticized the mayor for, as we mentioned, not including more money for mental health services and affordable housing. But Mayor Lightfoot dismissed some of that criticism as invalid. Let's take a listen. 
And it's invalid in part because it is untethered from the reality of the fiscal challenges that we have in our city. Um, it's easy to stand on the sideline and lob bombs. It's much more difficult to govern, and particularly govern in a way that brings fairness and reality and fiscal prudence um, to a process. John, tell us about what's what's happening here. Well, the mayor explicitly tied United Working Families to the Chicago Teachers Union and said, I expect the United Working Families to make these types of criticisms. I expect them to support someone to run against me in the next election. We should not be surprised that they're taking this position against me and basically said they're a, they're a political opponent of mine. So what do you expect? Well, on Wednesday, the Chicago Board of Education unanimously approved five-year contracts with the Chicago Teachers Union and SEIU Local. That's the union that represents support staff. And this comes weeks after a historic 11-day strike. I just kind of want us to think about for a second what it took for us to get here and whether this marks a turning point in the mayor's relationship with CTU. One thing I noticed was her immediately coming up with CTU at that press conference and naming them right away instead of saying, buried hatchet, I realize that we might disagree on things, but I think our priorities are are similar. Instead, it was, this is a political attack, and I expect other political attacks to come. Uh, So apparently the hatchet has not been buried. Lightfoot herself is continuing to position herself as an opponent to these groups. But I think the broader focus and the thing that maybe folks should be maybe celebrating is that this was kind of a win for CTU, yes, politically in the battle, but also like a lot of these things were things that Lightfoot ran on. She wanted more staff in Chicago public schools. She wanted a five-year contract, which she won. The strike was definitely damaging, but I think schools will be better as a result of what is in this contract. Well, Tony, when we look at the mayor's first few months here, and I mean, she's been through a strike, her first budget, she's got to get that vote through city council, headed down to Springfield, didn't get what she asked for. And there were lots of questions about how effective a politician she would be because this is her first elected office. How do you think she's fared so far? When you're in budget season, you're not going to please everybody, um, regardless of whether they're on your side or not politically. And uh, look, CTUs drew their lines. They never liked, they weren't with Lightfoot from then and they aren't now. And so that hasn't necessarily changed. I don't know that Lightfoot's lost people out of all of this kind of rocky tenure. The issue is that she's still a political newcomer, and that means that she doesn't have the historic relationships that help in getting things that you want. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Springfield here when I say that, but um, I I think that could probably also apply to other things in the city. But some of the issues that she's brought up, as AD said, she's campaigned on, and I think they are still kind of populist things. Um, Taking on congestion in this city and just the livability of it is something that we can all identify with. And in saying that I'm not a friend of Uber and and that kind of thing, I don't think that that she's losing people by by doing anything like that. John, your thoughts? And I agree with you in the the broad sense of that. The question is how effective an organization like Uber can be with their very deep pockets and their willingness to flood the airwaves, particularly on African-American radio stations, saying the South and West sides are going to get hammered over this thing. I don't know how it plays out there. She points out this is something that everyone can get behind. The downtown is a mess, and I'm going to save people money on rides. But I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see how how it plays out politically. Illinois Senate President John Cullerton announced last week that he's planning to resign in the new year. Tony, what do we know about his decision? 
what we know, at least from what he's said, is that he wants to spend time with his family. Um, look, he's had a long career in Springfield. It was a surprise the way that he did it, the way that he made the announcement. It was at the end of veto session, and, and I think it caught a lot of people off guard because— Including yeah, the governor. Including the governor. Yes, he's toyed with the idea publicly in the past, but um, he kind of shot that down afterward because he realized that as soon as you say you're going to leave, then the, the fight for replacing your replacement begins immediately. Um, but this was a little bit of a surprise, mostly because of what's on the calendar coming up in the next couple of years here in Springfield, which is drawing the map of uh, of the legislative districts. And Cullerton's kind of known for for enjoying that process. Hmm. And so, his, look, his announcement was a big surprise, and the fight's now on, really, to, to see who the next big uh, Senate president's going to be. Well, A.D., talk about some of the leading contenders for that seat. So the two big names, initially, you know, the first night you hear, like, 20 names. Was, every Everyone's senator, interested. Every senator wanted it, yeah. Right. And now it's kind of winnowed down to um, Kim Lightford and Don Harmon, if Tony would agree with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few others who have expressed interest, but, but right. it seems like from what I'm seeing at this stage, look, it's it's an election, is what it is. So at this <sighs> stage, it seems like it's it's those two are, are kind of the the leading contenders, right? Right, now. and they'll have to basically win the support of their colleagues. There's 40 Democrats in the Senate, so get 21 of those in line. Lightford uh, told us this week she's got around 14 or 15, maybe six others, so she's well on her way there. But this wouldn't happen until January. Uh, And ultimately, 30 members of the Senate in the full vote will have to approve uh, the new Senate president. She said she wants to pursue some ethics reforms. Our Steve Daniels wrote about her connections to ComEd, which are are not as as thick as some other state senators, but she has some significant connections there. But we'll see if what kind of fight Harmon and Sims, LG Sims, put up in the next few weeks. Well, and I'm curious, Tony, what this means about the balance of power in Springfield. Right now, as you mentioned, there's all of these federal investigations going on. We don't know who's involved in that, how many people are touched by those investigations. Michael Madigan, the House Speaker, arguably the most or one of the most powerful people uh, in Springfield. But now this seat is open, right? And so you're mm-hmm. going to have a new person in working to establish themselves as a power in Springfield. How does this upset the card? One senator who's currently under indictment for being on the Teamsters payroll and allegedly not doing any work. He denies wrongdoing there, but he gets a vote on who the next Senate president is. One senator had his office raided by the feds uh, a couple months, what, two months ago? And so um, he gets to vote on who the next Senate president is. One senator uh, is under federal investigation and wore a wire against a state representative and accepted a bribe as part of that investigation. So that person will get a vote on the next Senate president. <laughs> this is the, the the way that things are right now. And, and this investigation that is just all over the place and is casting a shadow over everything that's being done this is I don't know what to say <laughs> about it. No other than Tony there are no words. Tony speechless. There are no words. It's not like the next Senate president's going to be in the wrong on any of this. We don't know we don't know where this investigation is going. We don't know who's who's going to be caught up in it. Um But we, could we see a shift in the balance of power in Springfield? Well, Democrats control uh, have super majorities. The, the one thing Or lead I should be specific. Leadership power. Yeah, and one thing that Cullerton did that maybe isn't talked about enough is how much he won elections for Democrats in the Senate. He had one, the biggest Democratic caucus in the Illinois State Senate of any other legislature in the country. That's a, that's, that's, that's a huge accomplishment for a state that looks like Illinois. 
And so, you know, Cullerton, he was a good fundraiser and he won elections. And that's ultimately what the Democratic caucus in Springfield is going to look and uh, out of their next president. How much money can you raise for us? What can you can you win for us? Mm. And that's what's going to probably drive the, the ultimate results that you see in addition to the re- relationships that they are able to build and the promises that they make about who's who's going to be the, their deputies and that kind of thing. Well, People's Gas Executive Eva Dina Delgado was appointed to the seat vacated by State Representative Luis Arroyo. He's been charged with federal bribery. She took the oath of office last week. John, what can you tell us about this appointment? Well, it was uh, Mike Madigan said, don't do this with Arroyo's votes. Arroyo had the most, the weighted votes to be able to pick the new person for the seat. And he handed them to Northwest Side Alderman and committeeman Ariel Raboyris, who said, yeah, I'll take that. And then (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take those votes. And they they voted her in. And and, uh, Raboyris said he'll go to court to protect this appointment if Madigan tries to fight it because Raboyris says it would be a disenfranchisement of Latino voters to try to unseat her. So Raboyris is one of the lowest key guys on the city council. For him to step out like this and, and, and pick a fight with Madigan is kind of a striking situation. And do we expect House Speaker Madigan to follow through on this, Tony? I take Madigan at his word that um, he will challenge the credentials of the person that's seated there. And if that's Delgado, which right now it is, then um, maybe the House has to take a vote about whether to kick her out um, as soon as she's seated in. I don't know what what happens. This is going to come in January. The House has kicked out one of its own members before, but it's highly unusual. But look, we got a state rep who's charged, who got to pick his own replacement, even if it was done by proxy, regardless of whether Delgado's in the clear or not. The look speaks for itself. And I expect Madigan will follow through about Maybe the person has to get sworn in procedurally, but then the House has to turn. Maybe the House turns around and takes a vote about whether they to kick him out of office. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes WBEZ's Tony Arnold, A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business, and John Byrne of the Chicago Tribune. A couple of other stories we're watching today. The family of one of the victims of a shooting at Chicago's Mercy Hospital last year are suing the hospital and its security contractor for negligence. The suit was filed yesterday by the family of Dana Less. She was a worker at the hospital who was among the three people killed by a gunman. And Chicago's annual Christmas tree lighting ceremony is scheduled for six tonight at Millennium Park. The 55-foot blue spruce was donated by a family from West Suburban Elgin. There will be performances and music before Mayor Lightfoot officially flips the switch to turn the tree on. Okay, I want to turn to some news this week about Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. On Monday, Fox released a new campaign video, and in it, she even addresses the controversy around her involvement in the Jesse Smollett case. Let's listen. Truth is, I didn't handle it well. I own that. I'm making changes in my office to make sure we do better. A.D., how is this going to affect her re-election going forward? Well, her opponent, Bill Conway, is making this election almost entirely about the handling of Smollett and Kim Fox's handling of um, gun charges against UUW offenders, so uh, unlawful use of a weapon offenders. And it's in the it's in the headlines every other day. Jesse Smollett has two pending cases. He's got the civil case and the criminal case. And it seems like every other week there's a bit of news about that that just reminds people that this is going on. And what's fascinating about that is that you have here Kim Fox saying, I didn't handle this well. 
And then you have Jesse Smollett and his attorney saying, we're suing the police department. And I, I don't even know who all is included in the lawsuit at this point because they mishandled the case. And this actually did happen. It's very complicated. And I remember being on the show maybe six months ago and saying, this is the story that will never die. This is really a story that has not died. And we're, we're going to see Bill Conway, who's, who comes from a very wealthy family. He's already spending tens of thousands likely hundreds of thousand dollars down the line on TV ads. I was watching HGTV the other night, saw a Conway ad. I was watching NBC the other night, saw a Conway ad. And besides these headlines, if you drum up this message over and over and over again, it comes to a point where people think Kim Fox, Jesse Smollett, and it's difficult to escape. But I think Fox can make a compelling argument about the way that she has changed the office, which is what most of the rest of the video was about. I'm not going to prosecute low-level uh, shoplifters. I'm not going to prosecute low-level gun offenders. And we're going to focus as much as we can on winning prosecutions on these gun cases where we can. Well, and Fox picked up some major endorsements on Thursday, including Governor J.B. Pritzker, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, and Senators Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. John, Talk about the impact of those endorsements and, and what they could mean for the election. Well, they're, they're, they're huge. Lightfoot just talked about this uh, a few minutes ago before we came on the air. She said, I think she deserves another term. She's making the right types of changes. I was also interested that in her announcement, she offered the mea culpa on the Jesse Smollett thing and then pivoted immediately to the fact that she's constantly, she, Kim Fox, is constantly being attacked by Donald Trump, the NRA, and the FOP. So she's sort of drawing the line there and saying, look, I, I, I messed up over here. I'm doing better. But if you want to be the voting for the person who is disliked by this crew over here, I'm the candidate for you. For, ahead, for all intents and purposes, this race for state's attorneys determined by Democratic uh, primary voters next year. It's, uh, I'm not looking so much to November as, as I am as, as to what the Democratic Party does here. The fact that she has so many Democratic officials supporting her means that she's getting that organization, and that's that's going to be a huge help because this is not a, a general prim- a general election race. This is a primary race, and so that all bodes well. But that said, you know, the people voting in, in the March primary are going to be voting for president. Or, you know, a lot, that's going to be motivating a lot of people, not necessarily this race. All right. Well, before we wrap up really, really quickly, tell me the stories you're following in the weeks to come, A.D.? Budget vote next Tuesday. Should be great. Tony? Who's getting indicted? (laughs) And John. And John. I I can't look past the budget. (laughs) I'll talk to you after the budget. But yeah, that's it till then. Yeah, it's not a joke, but you said it with such resignation, Tony. (laughs) And we we all felt it. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WBEZ state politics reporter Tony Arnold, Crane Chicago business politics and government reporter A.D. Quigg, and Chicago Tribune City Hall reporter John Byrne. Everybody, thanks. Thank And that's today's Reset. Hey, do you know a person doing great things for the community? Have a story you think we should know about? Give us a call on our hotline. The number is 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. And don't forget, a Sunday edition of Reset is coming your way. Look for it when you wake up Sunday morning. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.